0: This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com audible. This episode is brought to you by Code School. Code School offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to proxpn.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 149 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. We also have a new panelist, and that is Jonathan Stark. Hello, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and I just have one quick announcement. A week about a week from when we record this, uh so when you're listening to it, I'm putting up a Kickstarter campaign. Uh the idea behind it is to support the shows and to provide value. It's going to be a video series on Ruby on Rails. Um so if that's not your thing then, you know, you can go and support the Kickstarter campaign to support the shows or to get some of the goodies that are there. Otherwise, if you are interested in Ruby on Rails, and this is a good way to get some training material going, you can find it at devchat.tv slash kickstarter. And yeah, all of that will be working by the time you get this episode. So go check it out. This week, we're going to be talking about turning down profitable work and some of the reasons why you might do that kind of thing. I know we had some things that we discussed before the show. Do one of you guys want to talk about some instances when you've done such a thing? I most
1: recently did this when... We were pregnant with our second, and it was just purely a lifestyle choice where uh, I had a great long-term client, but they required a lot of travel, and, you know, for that first year, it just wasn't going to work, and it was just a, a purely a lifestyle choice, so I parted ways with them nicely, and maybe at some point we'll ramp back up, but that was definitely my most recent one.
0: So it seems like it'd, it'd be kind of a hard thing, right, because, you know, you're bringing in money, you're paying bills and stuff like that yeah straight
1: up lifestyle choice and it's a pay cut for sure it was a great client i had him on a monthly retainer that was pretty nice but the travel really it does get old and it's difficult so i basically for 2014 i i don't think i did any travel at all but this year i'm ramping back up other times there were clients that you have kind of run their course most of my work is like long-term retainer type type stuff and after a while the returns are just diminishing even though they're continuing to pay you the same thing, it gets really worn out and it starts to feel really um like a squeezed out lemon. You're just trying to get a little more juice out of it and it just doesn't seem fair really. So they start to treat you almost like an internal employee. So I've I've so killed off a couple of those in the past. So
2: what? So like you had a monthly retainer with, with a client and they were paying you to do I mean the way you've described it is phone calls and meetings, uh and you basically said to them, Look guys, I, I just don't think I'm really providing you with value. Let's stop.
1: Basically, yeah. Or actually, it, it comes up in different ways. Like sometimes we'll get to that point, and then I think maybe they subconsciously are thinking the same thing, or they're feeling the same thing, and things get a little snippier um, communication-wise. Yeah. Right. And and then something will come up where it's just like, oh, this might be a good time for us to part ways. I can think of an example where I was doing a long-term retainer for two different clients at the same time. And the newer one, it's kind of a long story, but a, a, a project came up with one of them that was way too similar to the other one. And so I felt like there'd be a perceived conflict of interest. And I was already past the point of really feeling like I was delivering tons of value to the second one. So I was like, eh, let's just, we should probably, I don't want to be involved with this. I don't want it to look like I'm sharing information across the two clients. So maybe let's just." Call it a day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How, I'm curious, how did you like spin it down then? Like, was it just okay? We're we're done, or was it that, that one? That
1: yeah. That one was cold turkey. It was like it was like literally January twentieth. I was literally getting ready. I was like preparing their invoice for the February invoice, and this uh, potential conflict of interest came into my email box, and I was just like, not doing this. So I just emailed and I said, hey, I was just about to send you an invoice, but I got this email. How about I not send it? <laughs> and that's that. Interesting. It wasn't like a dev project, so it's not like I was leaving them in a lurch. It was just, um, you know, they no longer had permission to call me, basically.
0: That makes sense. One thing that I'm running into at this point is that I have more work than I can actually do. And I'm trying to hire people and kind of backfill that. But, you know, at what point do you turn work down? If it's work that you want to take, but it's, you know, it's work that you don't necessarily have the bandwidth or whatever to pick up. Does that make sense? So you would turn it yeah. on because you don't you don't have time.
2: Look, I, I I mean, I've been running into that a lot with my training. So, I mean, I, as I mentioned to you guys before the show, like I mean, I've been mentioning this for a while that i have been planning to leave the training company that I've been working through and, and do it more on my own. And part of the motivation is I now have between two and three weeks scheduled. I think it's October at this point through them. And so it's getting to the ridiculous point where they say, oh, please, like, you must have a date in March when you can give us. I'm like, no, like, I'm totally full up. And then just today, I got email from a private client where they said, so can you give us a, a week of training in March? And they, you know, I just had to laugh and say, well, no, but have about April? So like, I have basically run out of time to offer. Um, and it's not exactly the same as development stuff, but it's, you know, it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And look, so one solution I've had for at least the development stuff is I have an employee, And so he deals with a lot of the day-to-day development, which I could do, but I just don't have time for. And the other thing is then I've started to prioritize and I say, well, you know, I'd rather work for X than for Y. And in this case, it's, I'd rather work for my own projects and my own training than through this other company. But then, you know, once I get to the situation, a similar situation, you know, I'm still going to have to make these same choices. It'll just be on my own rather than through them. And then I think it's going to be, who's going to give me the most long-term return? Like which companies do I want to work with for a long time and which companies can i work with for a long time you know is it just a one shot deal even if it's really uh lucrative or is it likely to be returning uh you know uh, give me a big return on my investment over time
3: right and like you can also look at the big picture of like is this a client where i can you know take their branding take their logo and use it to impress other clients even if it is a short term you're not going to make as much and you it's what is it the maslow's hierarchy of needs the idea if, once you take care of what you need to bring in to survive and keep your business running you can kind of look at things that like you know, make you feel like you're learning, make you feel like, you know, this is the, the joy, this is the job you want to do. And then like, what's going to set you up, you know, in the long term and all that stuff. Right.
2: So I mean, Chuck, I think part of it is you figuring out sort of all the clients that you've got, and unless they're all doing exactly the same thing and in the same direction, which is closer to where you want to be a year from now or five years from now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's also a sign that you should raise your prices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. That's true. But yeah, I'm definitely fighting that battle right now where I have some subcontractors that can do a lot of this work that I need done, but I don't have enough people to get enough work done. And so, yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what to say no to in order to, because I don't want to, I don't want to take a job and then have to blow it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we didn't have enough time to do your work. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, worst. the worst.
3: On it might be just, you can't take it. I've had that happen a couple of times where it just, there's no way I can make it work. I don't ever want to hire people for like contract development, but you know, even if you do, if you can't find, you know, people you can hire, you can't find where you can do it. And it might just be best just to pass on it. I mean, there's always going to be another thing coming down the pipeline later. And who knows? Maybe, you know, it wasn't right for you to take this project. You know, it might have looked really that great on paper, but if by taking it, you might have missed out on another opportunity coming up that would have been even better. And so instead of straining yourself, kind of going, you know, into overtime mode you know, for the next month, two months, six months, longer, maybe it's better just to kind of pass on it and just, you know, keep your eyes out for the next thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's that other thing, though, where you've got that, as a business owner, you've got that ingrained desire to make hay while the sun shines. And when I was doing development work, it was very streaky. Like, it was seasonal, where, you know, the end of the fiscal year, it gets super busy, like, but around the holidays, it was completely dead. You know, so you'd have these seasons where it was just like you would get a ton of leads and there was like more work than you could do. And you kind of wanted to do it because you knew that like the next, you know, maybe three months away, it was going to be pretty slow. So it's it is difficult. You don't want to, have to give yourself cash flow problems, basically.
0: Yeah. And I just came off of a dry spell. You know, and so I kind of took a bunch of contracts because I was I was in that position where it's like, okay, well, I have time for it. Okay, I have time for this other one. And then I had a big one come in that requires a lot of time. And so that's that's the point I'm at now where I'm trying to get the little ones out of the way so I can focus on the big one. And I haven't had the time to juggle it all. And then I have somebody else offering me another fairly large contract. And so I'm trying to decide if I should turn it down or if I should try and find more people.
2: It's not always an obvious decision. And I mean, I mean, I, I really like the fact that I have an employee that I can give stuff to at the same time. He and I have a great relationship where I can just sort of say to him, go work on this. And he's super independent and super like communicative with clients. So I don't need to micromanage him. On the contrary, I'm probably doing just the opposite, but whether it's training, whether it's development, you know, you can also sometimes feel it out and say, figure out how urgent is it? Mm -hmm. Like you can sometimes say to people, well, I'd love to work with you. But I'm only available you know in another month or in another two months. um is that okay? And I've sometimes found they they are okay with that, much to my surprise,
3: yeah, there's one lead I'm following up with that looks like it's gonna be a good one, but I mean, I think it's pushed in six or eight months, you know since I first talked to them and started talking about stuff, and at the beginning, they're like, this is urgent. We have to get this done in the next few weeks, and you know, looking back, it's eight months now, and they haven't even started development so Asking them, trying to find out their deadlines is important, but they might not even be realistic about it. And you know, you might be able to like, yeah, take on this other project, but it might not actually get underway until your other ones are done. Right. And that's that's just it's hard to schedule that because there's so many so many variables up in the air. I've that, had that
1: happen many times as well, where their they, their hair's on fire, and then you're like, okay, let's go. They send a check, and it's like and then you never hear from. Them. <laughs>
0: I've In my experience, those are almost always the worst ones because they give you the check. They, you know, they pay every invoice you send them and then they come back at the end of it and they go, this isn't what we wanted or we didn't get enough for our money or, you know, mm. whatever. And since they haven't been communicating and, you know, whether you've been trying or not, inevitably, almost every time <laughs> that I've done that, and uh, they've disappeared on me. They've come back and been unhappy with what I wound up giving them.
1: Yeah, I, that's where the value pricing thing comes in for me because yep. they don't, that never really happens with me. Like client can go dark and it doesn't change my cash flow and it doesn't change their the price they pay. So, you know, if I've done my job right during the proposal phase, or leading up to the proposal phase, I don't have that problem. When I bill by the hour, absolutely had that problem.
0: Yep. So are there other reasons why you've turned down paying work? I've turned it down when it was
1: probably two reasons. One, if it was just like not the kind of work that I wanted to put on my website as somebody I worked for. Like when the uh, iPhone first came out, they didn't allow any, let's say, adult applications in the App Store. And since I was well known for doing web-based mobile applications, I got a fair number of requests from the adult industry to do those kinds of projects. Which I'm totally 100% fine with, but I just couldn't see myself putting them in like my client portfolio. Like I'm not that emotionally stable, I like, guess, or whatever. I didn't really want to continue to attract that kind of client, even though it probably is a huge industry that you can make a ton of money at. But I just didn't want to put them in my portfolio. So then I was like, Nah, I'm gonna not gonna take this on. Like I'm totally cool with what you're doing, but I just I don't want my business to go in that direction. That was one thing. Another thing is when people when you just get a vibe off of people that you're like. Like you have some email exchanges with them and everything seems like pretty good, but there's like a personality mismatch again with the value pricing. You you can get killed by a client who's a nickel and dimer, you know, somebody who wants to just wants you to hold their hand constantly and do all these teeny little things that are irrelevant, like that won't move the needle for their business. So you have to watch out for people who you're afraid might not treat you, might not respect the fact that you're making yourself vulnerable to them. Mm-hmm. And so I can give you actually a specific story where uh, a client got in touch with me, you know, a buyer got in touch with me. We did the deal. She sent me a five-figure deposit. And then at the kickoff meeting, the owner of the business, her boss, got on the phone call and I immediately was like, this woman will destroy my business. I could tell she was just the kind of person who was unpleasable. So, and was extremely opinionated and knew nothing about the deal, knew nothing about the the paperwork. I mean, she heard, you know, it was a kickoff call for the project, but she hadn't even bothered to read any of the email or the, the contract that I sent. So I was like, I'm not dealing with this person. So I told my project contact, I was like, I'm sending you the money back. I, I can't work with this person.
2: Wow. Right. I mean, that's very noble of you. I think I probably would have tried to slog through it. And then just complained to everyone in earshot about how frustrated I am. So, (laughs) (laughs) And my wife would be like, I told you some of these clients are terrible. I told you some of them are crazy. So you probably did the, the right thing medium to long term, not only for your business, but for your psychological health. But it's hard, right? I mean, I had this client over the summer, I guess it was, where they were kind of crazy. I mean... They kept coming back to us and saying, well, you said you would do X and Y and Z. And I'd be like, yes, we did that. Oh, but we really meant that you would like, so you said people would be able to log in. And I said, they can. They said, yeah, but we really meant they should be able to log in with these new fields connecting to these external systems with these sorts of validations. And, like, basically give us a laundry list of things. I think we figured out that they had... 70 things that they had just sort of forgotten to mention in the spec anywhere that were you know intuitively obvious or should have been to us or so they said and I was like do I really need this do I really want this anymore and basically the decision was made for me because it seems that they hated me as much as I hated them so I said, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they said we we've got a you know I, before I even had a chance to sort of say anything to them and leave them they said we have a local firm that we're going to have look at some of the small things that you haven't had a chance to take care of yet And that was literally the last I heard from them. And I'm glad that they struck first because I I should have or would have very soon after that because there's a limit as to how much my sanity can take people just – I mean, as you said, John, they're like nickel and diming me and driving me nuts and not appreciating the good work we had done.
1: Yeah, it's critically important, especially – I mean, hourly is one thing because you're sort of insulated. You know, that you get an angry and ang- your your customer continues to get more angry as the project goes overestimate, but you're insulated from getting killed financially. And I, I think because I don't bill that way, my red flag meter is incredibly sensitive. So the way that I usually put it is that I I wouldn't take on a client that I don't want to go out to you know have drinks with. Like if we can't sit down and have like a fun dinner out, then there's no way we can work together. Because work right, together so is I, way more intense.
2: On, on that particular project, we were actually getting paid hourly, but they kept saying, oh, yes, you're getting paid hourly, but these things should have been included in your hourly charge. <laughs> <laughs> That's super and, weird. <laughs> so it was, it was obvious we were just operating on totally, totally different wavelengths. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they, they did pay. I mean, t- that is the other thing. Like Another reason I walked away from paying work is when it doesn't pay. Like the moment that someone starts to get weird about paying or late about paying, like I, I start getting very angry with them, and I say, "Look, this just cannot continue." And I'm increasingly willing. So as my business grows and as I can afford to do this, to just say, to them, listen, you know, you haven't paid. I'm leaving you." I mean, I've got a guy now who, who's like that, and I, I think, I mean, I just emailed him a few days ago and said, "So I think we're now at the point of the project. Like I normally don't build by the project, but I did it for you." because, well, basically, I think he was kind of slimy about it. But fine, so we're over that. I think I'm done with the project. How about paying me? And I literally have not heard from him. It's now been four or five days. And I think this is a very bad sign. And uh, again, like I was thinking of leaving him anyway, and now this seems to just demonstrate the wisdom in doing that. And he has paid me a lot over the last year. But if paying every month is like pulling teeth, I have way better things to do with my time than send angry email to get paid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I used to manage a development firm that uh, I was the, the VP and I was basically in charge of the developers. And I used to say to them, you know, and they were, very, they were all very self-directed. They would deal directly with the clients and, and it was up to them to let me know if there's any kind of problem going on. And I used to, I can't believe I did this because I would never do it now. But when you're billing by the hour in arrears every week, you know, invoicing every week for the previous week, what I used to say to them, I'm like, y- you guys are like a Coke machine. If the check doesn't come in, you're not working on it. Like, no money, no coke. And that was just the deal because we had a lot of late payers. They just treated us like a bank, and I was like, you know, I'd say like, look, if the check didn't come in, do not do anything, do not work on it, because that's the only thing that will get them to call the accounting and be like, oh, yeah, you know, make sure you get that check out ASAP because we need this work done. It's a horrible way to be, but you kind of have to be like that if if you're billing that way and you've got, you know, a whatever, $50,000 a month payroll. That's right.
2: That's right. No, absolutely. I mean, I had a guy, I guess it was about a year or two ago, who paid late. And he was difficult to deal with. And I wasn't like the project, but it was potentially quite lucrative. And the moment that he paid late, I was like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, like this is just the, the final straw. And it wasn't even that late. Like, it was like two days late, three days late. But again, I'm getting too old for this, like to call people and SMS them and email them, like, where's the payment? Where's the payment? I, I really have better things to do with my time. And I have clients who pay very nicely and on time.
1: I don't know if this is is cool or not, but I have a friend who recently started a business called Just Tell Julie. Have you guys heard of this?
2: Uh-uh.
1: You it, you might have mentioned yeah. it or I might
2: have read about it or heard in your podcast or something. Yes, yeah,
1: she yeah. just launched and, and it it's hilarious. It's she's just this person, Julie, who if you have late payers, you just go on her site and she'll take care of it. She's kind of like a it's kind of like collections. But she calls up as if she's your employee, basically, and says, Hey, um, I, uh, I'm calling for Ruben, and I noticed that your invoice is like, Do you want to take care of that right now over the phone? Like, that's the whole conversation. She's she's like super genial and doesn't get into it, and just like, <laughs> and then she takes a percentage of whatever she got. Wow. It's hilarious. It's, it's only been around a short time, but it seems pretty successful already.
0: It's sad that such a thing is necessary, but it's not surprising either.
2: Look, I had a business manager working for me probably about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, who was fantastic. And we had someone who was late at paying. And she said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And it was that sort of thing. Like, she would just call up and be very nice about it. And if they didn't pay, I think once she just went to the person's office and sat in their lobby. (laughs) And it was amazing. By the end of the day, we had the check.
0: Wow. (laughs) My friend, his wife is kind of his business and office manager. And yeah, she pretty much did the same thing. She drove up to an office and basically sat there and somebody decided that they wanted to lock up and turn off the lights and go home. And so they cut her a check. <laughs> so she'd leave. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm wondering though, I, and this is something that Eric went through. Um, what about if you're transitioning? So you're, you're not taking the, or you don't necessarily want to take the kind of work that you have been doing and you want to be doing other things. So Eric transitioned into, you know, more
3: general Rails and out of Redmine. Do you have thoughts on that, Eric? Yeah, I mean it was hard. Um looking back, that was what, three years ago? Maybe four at this time. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff behind it, a lot of stuff that I still isn't even public. But you know, it was more than full time work. Like I could have I probably could have hired another developer, like employee, and they would have been completely busy. And I still, to this day, I still get leads every now and then. And I'll do some Redmine stuff for past clients or like people I know. It's just like more of a favor to help them out. But yeah, I mean, it was hard because it was like, you can ask my wife, like we spent probably probably a month going back and forth talking about it, you know, how's this going to affect us? Because, you know, at the time that was my entire income uh, and it was a very, very difficult decision. And we ended up kind of, I think the points we came down to was like, I was providing value for my clients. My clients love the work I was doing, but doing like working in that environment and that ecosystem was like hurting me as a person. And so it was one of those like, okay, I could do this, but I'm basically digging myself in my own grave. Like I'm, I'm not happy doing this. I'm not enjoying it. And we decided like my wife and I, like it's better to leave that, maybe have a, a lot more fluctuating income over the next year, two years, whatever. And have that, you know, the happiness, have the, I feel fulfilled and I'm enjoying work again versus staying in and being, you know, a high, highly paid, unhappy consultant. Because I was lucky at that time that it wasn't actually affecting clients. Like my clients are still getting value, but I could see, you know, if I stayed at it, like I was going to become really grumpy, really upset, and it was going to leak into the work I was doing. And I was going to eventually piss off my clients or cause damages that way. So not only would I be unhappy, but my clients would be and my business would die Versus if I just got out. And I know that because I was actually watching two different consultants kind of at different stages of that. I could see signs of what was happening in my business, what was going on with them. And so I could actually see like, Oh yeah, when you get really grumpy, really mad and start like talking and bad mouthing your clients, this is what happens six months later. Um, so it was a really hard decision, but looking back, I'm really happy I made it, but it's one of those like, you really have to get perspective on it. Like, cause you yeah, know, you're in it day to day. You don't know what's going to happen. And I think one thing we ended up saying was, worst case, if it doesn't work out, like I, I leave it, I can be a developer at some company locally or whatever, or I could just go work at a bookstore that's by here that's a really great bookstore. You know, I'd love that job. I'd be happy there. wouldn't be making as much, but I'd be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a similar story. When I was
1: back at that firm that I just mentioned where I was managing people, uh, we were a, it was a FileMaker development firm, and I was sick of it. Like, it's a small it's a you know compared to the web it's a very small product and it's not hard if you really learn it after a couple of years there's nothing left to learn and it was getting boring for me and it felt like a really small just a really small pond i felt like there was a ceiling that i didn't like and I, exact same thing had the conversation with the significant other and said i gotta transition out of this and turn down lo- i still i still get leads for filemaker stuff and just like i i haven't I haven't done that in four software versions, you know, I don't even recognize the product anymore. And you do, you take a financial dip for, I would say for me, it was about six months where I, you know, one day I just took every reference to FileMaker off my website. And within a month business was down and it took another few months for web stuff to start ramping up. But exact same thing. It's like, I could see I was bored. I was getting cranky, um, and and even though I could still be making a good solid living doing that stuff, I just it didn't feel like a growth area. It felt like a contracting market to me, and it just felt like too young to be in a spot like that.
0: So I'm kind of how do I say it? So I'm I'm kind of trying to move out of development or out of contracting and into other areas, but at the same time, you know, it's so lucrative to have people, you know, to, to have so much work that I'm paying other people to do the work. And they're all subcontractors, so if the work goes away, then they can too, you know, as much as I like working with several of them. So how do you how do you make that transition? I mean, do I just have to put my foot down and say I'm not taking any more contracts? I'm going to
3: transition or what? I think it depends what you want. I mean, I know a lot of people that have done that with products where they've put their foot down and said, I'm, I'm leaving consulting and going into products full-time or a product that they have. And for some people, it's worked for other people's six months later, they say, yeah, I'm coming back to consulting. I don't I mean, it, you can make it work like that. You can be very hard line in the sand. The most successful ones I've seen are been very soft about it. Like if they stop doing consulting, they do it by just not taking new clients, like either cranking their race up to a really high amount or just saying they don't have availability until next December or something like, you know, some really far out number. And that way they, you know, they can kind of go back if they need to go into consulting, like they can say, hey, I actually, you know, internally, they need the money, but externally, they can say, hey, I have some openings in summer. Um, And you could do that. I mean, or you can just kind of do a little bit of each, like it's harder, but you can kind of say, like, I want to work on, you know, this passion business I have, but I still need to pay the bills. I still want to do consulting. You know, it might even be like you want to keep consulting for the rest of your life. Like just kind of transition the, the actual consulting you're doing. Maybe you're not doing development. Maybe it's more actually like consulting advice, or maybe you just want to like manage a team of contractors, whether it's your contractors or someone else's. Um, I don't think there's really like one size fits all. I think it's what you want to do and what's your kind of your end goal and whatever five or 10 years is going to be.
2: Right. Like, I mean, I, I don't see myself ever moving a 100% out of development or a 100% out of consulting. But it's clear to me that my real passion is in the training and in trying to you know, move some of the products that I've been working on and then developing new products. So, I mean, I've told people straight out, and I guess this is a form of sort of leaving potentially lucrative business. People call me and they say, can you do some development? And I say, well, I do it together with my employee and I sort of manage him and do the harder stuff or more casual stuff, but day-to-day work is done by him. And uh, I'm sure that I could have you know, brought a whole bunch of business by stating more explicitly by by making it a priority to do it myself. But I think so far it's served me pretty well doing that. And it allows me it allows me also the soft landing that Eric's talking about, where if I have a hole in my schedule, then I can say, well actually, okay, fine, I'll 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 take it and I'll work on it for the next week or two or at some point in the next month. So it gives me some flexibility that people know I'm still sort of in the game, even if it's not two feet a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, that's all. I think that's all good advice. For me personally, I can't do the I can't do the one foot in both worlds thing very well, and I, I need to be a little bit more cold turkey about it. Which you know may or may not be, you know, Chuck may or may not be a fit for you. But um, for me, that I just I can't. I'm like it's like a light switch with me. It's like I got to do one or the other. The risk is that you run out of cash, so you need yes. to have a little bit of. You got to have some cushion there. And say, all right, I'm going to give this three months or whatever. I'm going to give this three months of full-on attention, and you know, if it doesn't work out, then at least I can say I tried, type of thing. But every time I've done it, and I've done it a couple of times, it's worked out. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm.
2: I'm curious, Jonathan. Like, so, so you now do very little development; it's mostly the the consulting work. Because I'm right. Because I'm curious, like, your clients don't find that to be like that. They feel that you're out of it to some degree. That you're not you know, as well-informed as you could have been if you were doing day-to-day development?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So, of course, that depends on the kind of consulting I'm doing, but you're right. The kind of consulting I am doing is, the advice I'm giving is very developer-y, for lack of a better term. And I address that by doing usually at least one project a year where I'm actually coding, and I have a bunch of FPSs or fun side projects where I actually code. I still code a lot but um i typically don't charge for it uh every once in a while i'll have a friend who has a uh, a development project that i can't say no to and is also going to do a great job informing my consulting work and i'll take it like last year it was um the entertainment weekly mobile responsive redesign so i did all the javascript for that site and cuz if things change so fast in mobile and on the web that it's it would be easy to just get out of touch really fast. Uh, So I do try and I I keep a toe in that water, but it's not my business. I don't advertise it. Uh, I don't market around it. People who know me will sometimes just call me and I'll help them out. But uh,
3: it's not my thrust. One part of that is like, you know, you have to keep up, up to date with things, but that doesn't mean you need to be doing it for 40 hours a week. Like some things you can actually spend a few hours and actually get the gist of it. And then it's the other 30, 40 hours that week is just repeating that one thing you learned. So once you've you learn the thing. Or you know people who
1: you can ask that you trust about yeah, that thing.
3: Yeah, you, you know how to ask or what resources to use. So, I mean, you know, staying updated is important, but there's also an aspect. Like, like what is it, uh, diminishing returns to it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Gotcha. The issue is,
0: is that I'm a lot more like Jonathan, where it's really hard for me to split my focus. I'm really bad at it, and I really hate doing it. It just makes me crazy. And so, you know, taking the contracts now to kind of build that buffer, which is kind of what I feel like I have to do so that I can just go focus on it full-time, is frustrating because I see that it's, you know, it's three months or so down the road, three to six months down the road, that that I'll be able to actually go full-time focusing on this, so... I've been trying to find other ways to shortcut it. <laughs>
3: I mean, maybe it's perspective. I mean, it, yeah, you got to look at, like, look at other jobs, other careers. I mean, there's some people that put in 20 years of work, like say they're doing science research or something. They put in 20 years of work before they're actually able to do what they really want to do with it. You know, they, you know, quote, pay their dues. So, I mean, maybe that's like, you know, yeah, you would want to do your side project stuff right now, but, you know, you can't. And so waiting three months and doing everything you can to make it so that those three months is actually going to, you're going to hit that. That might be just, it's just part like the cost of doing business. You just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it because really being able to change your business massively in even like a 12 month time span, like that's not unique, but that's really like kind of a unique thing with web and a lot of that industry is that it, it can move that fast. You can, you know, for lack of a better term, you could pivot quickly And, you know, a lot of other industries don't have that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, again, I totally agree with Eric. When I, the first couple of pivots that I did, I did sort of stepwise where I went from FileMaker to FileMaker web and then straight web and then to mobile web. So it was sort of like a lot of my, I could sell my new services to existing clients. I didn't go from like web to basket weaving or something. Right you know, there's enough of a relationship there that um, that um even a lot of my old blog content and that sort of stuff still, it, it was like, a, it dovetailed nicely instead of just being this
3: hard break. Yeah, makes sense. One thing that you have to really watch for, if you're projected, like, you know, in your taste, Chuck, like you said, in three months you'll have enough of a buffer built up. One thing, and this kind of bit me a few times whenever I tried to, you know, flip the switch back and forth, was that wasn't enough. Like, once I actually got into it and noticed, like, Oh, I actually should have built up, let's say six months or 12 months. I should have built up more than what I had. And looking back, that caused me to jump back earlier than I wanted to and actually made it so like, you know, my first few jumps into products weren't actually as successful because I had that, you know, that limiter or whatever. Um, so it might be worth it just to kind of like, you have something that's working now, stay with it a little longer than what you think. Have a little bit of that extra cushion, whether it's financial, time, experience, whatever, and then flip it. Like once you, once you know it's all good. And the other thing is you might be able to get your consulting business where it's kind of pretty systematized. And so even if you turn it off, you can actually, when you, if you have to come back, you can turn it back on and you have all these processes, you have connections you can draw on right away. So coming back into it, if you have to fall back is actually a lot easier.
0: Mm -hmm. I'll buy that. And that, and that makes sense too. And the other thing is, is so something that I've been thinking about for a long time is I, I want to move into products uh, and I like doing products for programmers, but I want also want to do products for podcasters. So I could do a lot of the prep work now, just talking about what I'm doing in podcasting to kind of build an audience, build, you know, some social proof and then turn around and actually pull the trigger.
3: Yeah. There's like a lot of the long-term things that takes a while to kind of get growing that you could start out, like they won't take a lot of time and then. Yeah, you, know, you go full force in it. I mean, newsletters, community stuff like that sort of thing. Yep. It takes a bit to get started, but once it's started, it can kind of feed on itself.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a, a couple of people that I'm mentoring, and one of them is actually he's like, well, I have this day job in Silicon Valley. He's like, I know I don't like it, but it pays the bills, and he's working with me to build up. It's sort of a side hustle for him, where he's like working full time at a startup, and he's got, but he he knows he doesn't want to do it, and so we're working on. There's a lot of stuff that is good to have done in advance. So when he quits, he's going to have like six months of work behind him. That's just like, boom, like ready to go that day instead of like, if he just freaked out one day and quit and then it was like, okay, what do I do now? And then he called me and we started working on this stuff. It would be six months before he made a dollar. So there probably is a bunch of stuff that you can kind of like put in the hopper it's right. like ready to rock. So then when you do flip the switch, you like you've got a, a a huge queue of stuff that's set to go. Right. Yeah, you that, know, whatever it is, drip campaigns or or videos or, you know, products or whatever.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the direction I'm going, but you know, I'm trying to also short circuit it with some of these other things. So, um I've got the conferences, you know, I I just announced people can get uh early bird information and access to the Ruby remote conf that I'm putting on because the JavaScript one was a success and things like that. And so those may bring in enough to kind of short or jumpstart that so that instead of three months, you know, it's, it's a month. So things like that. So I'm I'm definitely looking at some of the options there, but it's, it's just interesting, you know, to try and figure out, okay, at what point do I start telling people no, but I don't want this show to be all about me. And I, and I, I'm not saying it was, but I kind of monopolized the last 15 minutes. <laughs>
3: I don't think you monopolized. I think you had some questions and stuff that I think a lot of other people have. I mean, I've had similar ones, just, you know, numbers change, circumstances have changed. So, yeah. And the other, the other dilemma that
0: I'm facing that isn't really super relevant to what we've talked about is that, you know, so the consulting contracting is picking up. I am, I have been able to hire people thus far. So do I give up on that completely or do I try and find somebody else to kind of, take more off my plate there and then just keep it as another source of revenue. But I worry that I won't be able to focus as well. So uh,
2: Right. I mean, the, uh, I'm sure you realize this already just because you've already had people working for you and everything, but management takes time. Yes. Even in like my, you know, my cushy world where my employee is great and he's very self-directed, like I still need to actually spend some time with him talking to him, managing the project and so forth. And so you need to decide sort of how much time are you willing to spend each week or month? On that, which is not necessarily depending on how you like charge for it,
1: might not be directly billable, right yeah, that I think that is it's certainly possible to create a business that you could extricate oh. yourself from, mm-hmm. but development's a tough one, yeah, you know, if the business was selling ebooks and courses and stuff like that that was you know to consumers who were just gonna like buy them and run you know there's no bug, there's no bug in an ebook. The thing with kind of trying to run a development firm from a beach somewhere, in my experience, I know a bunch of people who have attempted to do it. And what happens is a project ends up blowing up. And then all of a sudden, the only thing that you're doing for work is dealing with blown up projects, which is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So that would scare me. I would love to be able to do that. I could... but. To Reuven's point, like you got to manage it or, you know, this is software development this is like a, a thing unto itself. Anyway, so I don't know. That would make me nervous. I, I, I wish I could do that. If I thought I could do it, I would actually do that and have that as a side income, but I, I can't imagine
3: doing that on the side. Yeah.
0: I hear that. All right. Any other direction we should go with this before we do picks?
3: One last note: depending on what you're actually turning down work-wise, you might be able to come back to it. Um, yeah. there was some work I turned down for a couple of leads just saying, I don't have, I don't have the availability or I'm not doing that work anymore. And I came back to them six months, I think maybe a year later in another case and said, Hey, I'm doing it now. Are you still interested? And some of them actually took me up on it. So it's, you're not actually like slamming the door in people's face unless you are being really mean about it. But you know, you sometimes can reopen those doors and kind of pick up where you left off or kind of pick up some parts of it. So it's not a, don't think of it as like an ultimatum type thing. Think of it as just a not right now type thing. Yeah, plus one, definitely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I've, I've also had people do the opposite with me where I've said I'm not available and they say, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll just have to go with someone else. And then six months later, they call me and say, you know, we really didn't find someone else. Are you available now?
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do some picks. Reuben, do you want to start us with
2: picks? Sure. I got a pick for this week. I, I'm, not sure how many of uh, people out there uh, use this already, and I think I might have picked it once in the past, in the far distant past. But I had some hard drive problems a few years ago, and I thought I was all set because I used Time Machine to back up. And a friend of mine who actually knows a ton about Macs, right, <laughs> like Eric in the chat now, he was like, "Oh, Ruben, that's so cute that you thought you were, you know, all set." And I did actually restore my sh- my machine from Time Machine. Um, fortunately. Thanks to some miracle, it did not take until I have grandchildren for that to happen. It was just so incredibly, horribly slow. And so this friend of mine said, listen, what you really need to do is not only back up a time machine, which is nice for individual files, but you really want to have a clone of your disk uh, every night. And so I went out and I got you know, an external disk and I got Carbon Copy Cloner. And every night, actually, I have two disks doing it now, one slightly older than the other. And so at like three and four in the morning every day... I get a full clone done. And uh in the past, I found Carbon Copy Cloner to be helpful, useful, and good, but with a mediocre to bad interface. And they just came out with an upgrade in the last week or two. And I must say, the interface is so much easier and nicer. And and for, like, the hardcore hackers out there, it is true that Carbon Copy Cloner is basically a fancy GUI on top of rsync. Yes, I recognize this. But it's nice to have this combination rsync and cron job with fancy buttons and windows that I can click on and see what's going on, where it gives me error messages that I can quickly interpret and not have to look up in a man page. So um, anyway, I, I definitely uh, not only recommend backing up and not only recommend backing up in this way, but Carbon Copy cloud, I'm sure there are other uh, products out there, but I've been quite happy with it.
0: Very nice. Jonathan, do you have some picks for us? Um, I've got one for you. It's a gadget pick. Uh,
1: I am a big mobile phone guy, of course. I carry a, a couple phones with me all the time, and I was recently inspired by a, what do you call it? It's like a, it's like a portable charger, external battery pack type of thing uh-huh. called the, are you ready for this name? The Vivis Knight V3 13,000 mAh dual USB portable charger external battery pack with unique leather visual design for iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 5S, 5C, F, blah, 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 every phone in the world. And, and that's the short name. That is, it's literally, it's, the name is a paragraph, a six-line paragraph. But the thing is great. It is unbelievable. You tra- it charges up really fast. It holds a charge for weeks and weeks and weeks, even when you're using it to charge your phones. And it has a built-in micro USB cord, so you don't have to remember that, too. And it sort of tucks away into the back of the case. And it's a- the only thing about it is that it's, of course, a little bit heavy. It's probably the weight of a full size iPad and it's like a you know, it's it's a small thing, but it's very dense. It's in my bag every day though. So I, I keep it in there and whenever the phone dies, you just stick it in there and it works great. You can even keep it in your coat pocket, keep your phone charging in there if you want. The battery quality is just unbelievable though. Charges quick and lasts forever. So that'd be my one pick for this week.
3: All right, Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so I actually got this from another person. It's a candy called gins. Jin it's actually like a ginger candy. I I actually have three of them on my desk, three three different flavors and types. But there's the one I tried this last weekend. It's the spicy apple chewy ginger, and I like ginger. I know some people don't, but this is actually like it's a very apple flavored. Not only like does it help like if, you know your stomach's not feeling good, but they actually work really good on a run because it's. Basically, it's sugar and ginger. And so it actually works as a good alternative to like having like, you know, gels or like really dense, running, you know, processed food type thing. Um, and it's nice because actually they taste good. Like you actually want to eat them versus gels, which you just like want to get it down as fast as possible and not touch your tongue. Um, uh, but they're pretty good. And there's also ginger can help like with seasickness or if you're not feeling good or whatever. So it's like a a nice bonus thing. But I've been having them for a while. There's a huge product line. I think they have like some coffee flavored ones and stuff too. but. Um, I'd recommend the chewy ones and then there's like a, like a double strength hard candy one, which are pretty good. And I've actually been having a few on the call when it's muted. So
0: very cool. I've got a few picks. I've been, uh, working on getting all of the episodes up on YouTube. I'm really liking YouTube as kind of a distribution, uh, media thingy. You can waste a lot of time on YouTube. That's not the end of it. I'm picking. So it's really easy to get your, your stuff up there to organize it into playlists. To create new channels, you just go into Google+, Plus. who knew, and create a business entity, and then you have another channel. So anyway, so that's what I've been doing, and I've been using, like I said, FFmpeg. So my picks are YouTube and FFmpeg, and then I'm just going to announce – I already mentioned the Ruby Remote Conf and the Kickstarter campaign, but another idea that I'm toying with and I'm collecting – uh, email addresses of people who are interested in it, if you want a box full of development, uh, swag, junk, books t-shirts, etc, then you can go check that out at devboxclub.com and yeah, just leave your email address and then I'll let you know uh, when I get around to launching it which should be within the next few months so if you're interested in any of that stuff go check it out, and that's, that's all I've got, so thanks guys for coming thanks for all your great advice, I really appreciated it, and we'll catch you all next week With for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefl to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash form.